what we're going to do today. Um, that Eighth Commandment last week, I did that so long ago, it was like I was preaching to myself when I heard it. I think it addressed a lot of very important issues that are pertinent to everything that's going on in our country, our families, what's being debated, how people think. It's very, very important. So we've printed out the PowerPoint from that, and we want to have a discussion. If we get tired of discussing, I'll go to Acts. But anything is fair game. Anything that we discuss, anything on the PowerPoint, I have it here, so if we go to a certain slide, I'll just go down to that slide and put it up, and we'll have a discussion of it. One other thing I do want to say, I learned something in the last couple of weeks about why I keep losing my voice. I cannot ever use volume. I can't be loud ever. As soon as I raise my voice, I lose my voice. And I found that out from people shouting questions to me from a long ways away. The neighbor, somebody in another boat, my wife up the stairs. Okay, so if I have to shout back, it's like, boom, my voice is gone. So I, if it looks like I'm being rude, it's simply you're too far away. I, can't, I cannot do that. I cannot ever raise my voice. I guess that'll help me not get angry, won't it? <laughs> but I just can't. If I raise my voice, I lose my voice. No volume. So please be cognizant of that. I'm not being rude. If you're a long ways away and you ask me something, I'm not going to answer. You know, but on the mic here, yes, we, we got a mic. So, Mr. Eric, could you, that, uh, the older than this Eric, could you uh, start us in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can be here today and that you are so gracious. You've given us your word. You've given us all the wisdom that we need. Help us to, uh, to learn the wisdom that you have for us. We ask that you give each of us a spiritual blessing. Help us to know your will and help us to, uh, to really learn everything that you have for us on this subject today in this next hour. And we ask that you bless each of us, including our teachers. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So if you weren't here last week and didn't hear the Sermon on the Eighth Commandment, I called my daughter and asked, and it's on the CIC YouTube channel. So if you go to Critical Issues Commentary and go to our YouTube channel and search for the Ten Commandments, you can watch this sermon on the Eighth Commandment. Now, let me introduce this. by I took some notes myself. I made some pretty big claims. Let me just do the overview, so get us back in view. We know what the Eighth Commandment is. You shall not steal. And so here's some of the claims that I made last week in that sermon. The Eighth Commandment mitigates the abuse of power and assures property rights. Let me, in fact, that's something we could talk about. Biblical reality, as far as law is concerned, is grounded in the fact that human beings are fallen, that there is a sin nature, 
that people are not just going to go out and be good because that's what they feel like doing. There needs to be restraint. Okay? So the Eighth Commandment is necessary because the reality is human beings are not going to just as they are do a whole lot of work just so everybody else is better off. In other words, we're not by nature motivated to work for the common good. So when you see, and I showed evidence in this message, that a lot of the laws that you see God instituted were to keep the powerful from taking advantage of people that couldn't resist them. And some instances, for example, um, I remember in seminary this was discussed after the Syro-Ephianite War, there was a hundred and, well, you know, a lot of Jewish men died in war. And guess what that left? Widows. Lots of widows. Now, one of the verses I quoted was rebuking people, and they said, you go and take from the widow because it's in your power to do it. Because the men weren't there to defend their families. And so the powerful could just go take anything they want. And there has to be law to restrain evil. Utopian theories that are so popular since the time of Hegel are all assuming that everything's evolving into something better by its own nature. The entire book I wrote on emergent theology was to refute, essentially, Hegel. Hegel's idea that is now so popular. And see, when you hear the term progressive, that term is based on Hegel's philosophy of social and spiritual evolution. That what things do is they progress to something better if we don't goof it up. So there's an innate idea, there's an idea of an innate process of moral and spiritual evolution that's heading toward deity or godhood or some kind of utopia. And we just have to try to cooperate with that. And whenever we come up with hard and fast categories, A is not non-A, we just destroyed the Hegelian synthesis. Now, when I debated Doug Paget, when I was researching for this, we managed to arrange a debate with one of the top authors for the emergent. And one of my main claims was A is not non-A. Now, if you weren't familiar with the philosophy, you might think, well, why are you doing that? Well, well, of course that's the way it is. Well, he didn't agree to that. Were you there, Eric? Remember what he did? He equivocated? Go ahead and talk about it. Bob talked about, uh, in the debate, he used radio waves, and he talked about one frequency. No, I actually talked about wall doors. He went to the radio. Oh, that's right. I talked about doors and walls. That's right. So he talked about doors and walls, and he says, you know, a door that you go out is A, the wall is non-A. And so you go, don't go walking out the wall, you walk out the door. 
And that's how we use logic. We use logic all the time. Without logic, the law of non-contradiction, we can't distinguish between the, the door and the wall. Well, Doug Paget's response was radio waves go through the wall. Well, what that is is equivocation yep. where what he's doing is he's changing the topic to something different. Yeah, of course, radio waves are different metaphysically or the, the physics of them. Of course they can, but that's not Bob's point. Bob's point was valid. As a human being, you can't go out the wall. You have to go out the door. So what he did is a big red herring to distract the audience. And, and what Bob was trying to show is that the emerging church is getting rid of the law of non-contradiction. They're getting rid of logic and reason and then, therefore, the only way you can know God is through meditation and through the mystical. That's right. what they want to do. Exactly. Now, what I would have done was tell him that radio waves also obey the law of non-contradiction because 980 is not, you know, 1050 or 1280 or whatever. They're not the same. And, but I, I didn't get a chance to do that. This was back before... I've been, I like to watch that Tucker Carlson. He's the best debater I've ever seen. I hadn't seen him, so I didn't know how to do it. But after he did the radio wave red hearing, he went to two more topics. Then he went on and said something else. Then he said something else. So when it came back to me, he was on two or three topics down from the one we were debating. And so then I responded to the last one that he said. But what I should have done if I was a better debater say, no, we got to go back to the radio waves because his, his illustration didn't refute non-contradiction. It proved it. But he changed topics from human beings to radio waves, but both human beings and radio waves obey the law of non-contradiction. Does that make sense? Okay. Here is an entire movement sucking up Christian young people into the Hegelian synthesis. In my book that refuted it, one of the things I cited a lot was Francis Schaeffer's book, Escape from Reason. You're trying to escape from reason because it's stealing and not stealing can't be distinguished. You can't even have law. Everything is just gray. There's no black and white. Does that make sense? One thing you pointed out, Bob, when you were citing Francis Schaeffer is Bob astutely pointed out that everyone lives their life in light of the law of non-contradiction. You stop at red lights and you go at green lights. You use it constantly. But what Americans and people around the world do is they live by the way of non-contradiction every day of their life, but then all of a sudden they get to church, and Francis Schaeffer had a term. He says they put it in the upper story. That is, all of a sudden you come to church and you become an imbecile. The law of non-contradiction goes out the window. You can't know anything. The Bible is irrelevant. And therefore, you just have to feel your way to God. And that's Hegel. And what Bob is showing us is that Hegel is the, it's the religious version of Marx. Marx is the political version, as it were. So the average American who's a Marxist or on the left, that is their religion. The emerging church came up with a religion that supports the politics of those who are Marxists. They both have the same root. One of the things I cited in my, one of my chapters in that book was somebody who was an expert about Hegel who said that Hegel's use of the Bible was this. He claimed Adam fell up, that Adam's sin was actually progress. Why would that be? Please listen, I'll tell you. God said to Adam, 
do not eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and of good and evil because the day you eat you will surely die so you had categories you can eat of all these trees but not this one a all the trees is not non a this one these are categories and god said they're permanent you transgress you die what did satan say you're not going to die you're going to gain something beneficial hegel the german philosopher claimed that adam did gain something beneficial this was the first step of progress a and b actually aren't absolutes they synthesize into something better and then once that synthesis happens somebody will come up with another problem c becomes c versus d and then it synthesizes and that process goes on until everything turns into divinity now ken wilbur who i addressed in one of my chapters is sort of the philosophical guru of the emergent church so i'm reading ken wilbur to do primary source research this guy some of the stuff he had in there i hadn't heard before now everybody uses it you know the term meme m-e-m-e Wilbur was using it. I had to go figure out what he was talking about. Now you hear it all the time. Listen, I'm reading this and I'm it's like giving me a headache. What is this guy saying? It's so esoteric. So I read an interview between Wilbur and one of the emergent leaders trying to pick his brain about his philosophy. And the interview, the guy said, well, can people, can, this is very difficult. People can't understand you. What would you say to people who can't understand you? He says, you don't have to understand me, just meditate. You can either figure out our idea of Hegel, or you just meditate. See, when you go into the meditative state, the categories go away, and the deception of Satan comes in, and you start actually thinking everything is God. You start thinking you should not die, but you'll be like God. The lie of Satan becomes reality when people meditate and so then you have to deal with what is christian meditation is contemplating what god said in the bible so when you meditate about the tree versus or eating versus not eating stealing versus not stealing the categories never go away and you start thinking i really cannot steal that would be a sin against god you think about it. Then you think about your life. How have I been stealing? Maybe I need to repent. Maybe, I aren't, maybe I'm not treating the people that work for me right if I'm a boss. Maybe I'm not treating, if I go to the restaurant, maybe I'm being stingy and I don't want to tip the people that, that work for me. Or maybe, maybe I don't pay my taxes because I don't want to obey Romans 13. So I cheat. You start meditating on God and his law and the categories remain when you do the new age meditation everything turns to gray and you become deceived so people that do this transcendental meditation are trying to go into an altered state of consciousness and experience this lie of Satan firsthand but they don't believe that's what it is
Does that make sense? And so I hear these people saying, well, I want to be progressive. They don't even know. They're saying, I want to follow the philosophy of George Wilhelm Frederick Hegel. They don't even know what they're talking about. Go ahead. And this is a couple of interesting points here because I was thinking with what Eric was saying earlier. Um, a long time ago, I started thinking about the different rhetorical devices that people have of twisting the truth. One of them is a false parallel. The other one, of course, is a false dichotomy. And then there were some other ones which I can't remember. But when we talk about a false parallel here, we're to meditate on God's word, which means we look at God's word, we dwell on it, we think about it. But there are people who advocate Christian meditation. They say, well, we're supposed to meditate. <laughs> and, of course, that's a false parallel. They equivocate on the term meditate. Yeah, they just take that term and say, well, okay, we're going to then create. And ultimately, they get into really uh, creating their, a God of their own making through their meditation. Amen. Well said, Eric. Yeah, and equivocation is where we take a, a term and we change the meaning. Uh, the example I always like to use is if I say to my son, uh, get a jacket on, it's cool outside. And I use the, the term cool for temperature. And he turns and says, it's okay, Dad, I'm a cool cat. Well, he's using cool in the sense of hipness. He's equivocated on that term. And you see that often. So you're right. I, I like your term, a false parallel. It's not true. But the technical term is equivocation. It's simply where people are taking language and they're changing the meaning. Exactly right. See, one um, thing I wanted to build on, Bob, is I, I love what you just shared about Hegel because the idea that you have A and B, the thesis and the antithesis, and they battle. And over time, it creates a synthesis. And that creates this spiritual evolution well, Karl Marx was a student of Hegel. He's a, he was called a new Hegelian. But Karl Marx is an atheist, so what he does is he takes the spiritual and he materializes it. So what he does then is he believes this evolution is going to come about, not spiritually as Hegel does, politically. but politically. And so what he does is he thinks that the role of government is always to take from the haves and give to the have-nots. The haves he called the bourgeoisie, and the have-nots were the proletariat, the working class. So that's how the Marxist on the left think. So, for example, let me just give a concrete example. You and I think morally as Christians. So what we do is we look at the Palestinian-Israeli war, and it's really a war that's going on there. Well, what we say is there's one side that's attacking another for no good reason. And it's simply the Israelis who want to live in peace. So we see that morally, but the left sees it not moral, through moral categories. They say the Israelis are the haves and the Palestinians are the have-nots. So right away, that's their religion. So immediately, they have to support the have-nots to force the synthesis in order to be progressive. So realize the average leftist that you're dealing with in America, they're not even using moral categories saying, well, who attacked who first? They don't care. They're just going to simply back what they perceive to be the have-nots. And so they no longer even think morally on what's right and wrong. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, I was just thinking about Scripture and the meditation on it, like Eric was saying. And I was just thinking... Even us, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's different times for each thing, but I was just kind of thinking, you know, Scripture is, is so powerful, and it brings us into, you know, philosophy or whatever else, but really it brings us to God. And I was just kind of thinking about that as I was, you know, looking through uh, interesting stuff here, but, uh, you, know, you know, I was just, I don't know, I, I love Scripture and just how that well, that's, teaches us. See, the, here's the reason I'm bringing this up, because the Eighth Commandment is Scripture, 
and it would keep us out of a lot of trouble. Even this term meditation, Eric, think about it. What did the psalmist say? Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Remember that one? Well, that's Christian meditation. But, see, I, I spent years debating the people that were trying to get rid of all this. That Christian meditation means God's word always does define sin. That definition isn't fluid. It isn't morphing into some other thing. Okay? I meditate on thy word that I might not sin against thee, meaning I'm remembering this is the tree, the forbidden tree, this is allowed. This is bound, this is loosed. This is what God said. This is a lie that he didn't say. So Christian meditation always preserves the categories revealed in the Bible. Pagan meditation always tries to bypass the rational mind and have some kind of what they call transcendence through an immediate numinous experience. Explain what I just said. Yeah, the other non-material. That's numinous would be kind of ethereal out here. And they're looking to go directly into that. And when you get into that, which I've interviewed a lot of people that do, they're not conscious of sinning or anything being good or evil. They just feel at peace. But the false prophets in Israel that were rebuked had a message that was always the same. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Have you heard that? Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Not being conscious of sin doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Now, I just put up here a slide that we had last week that, that are implications of the Eighth Commandment. Property rights are given by God. That's an implication of you shall not steal. If it's not yours, don't take it. In the ideal world of the Hegelian Marxist progressive synthesis, property rights are bad because everybody should be able to share everything. And because people by nature don't do that, they don't go to work so when they come home, somebody takes all their paycheck and, well, I'll go work again because I just like to do it. So you need property rights. And this ideal world where everybody cooperates for the common good doesn't exist. So property rights were protected by the law in Israel. Boundaries. Remember the sin? Do not move the ancient boundaries. Don't take the widow's land just because you're more powerful than the widow. Don't take somebody's inheritance, because that would be wrong. When law does not protect property rights, the result is the rule of might. How are you going to protect yourself if you're a widow and all the men in your family died in the war? That's, that's in, the, in the, some of the prophets. Well, you can't. And the king can come and take everything. What happened in these countries to try to do that, like Venezuela? What's happening? Yeah. 
a few powerful people own everything. Yes. I might be wrong, but I believe, okay, I, I don't know how many of you have read the Amurabi Code, but I remember that I was taught back in college, oh, well, you know, the Ten Commandments, just nothing new. Well, I read the Amurabi Code, and the Ten Commandments are something new. I don't think that in the pagan world, the rest of the world, I don't think that there were any codified property rights. I think that's uniquely from the Ten Commandments, and it's Judeo-Christian, and, and that separates, the, that separated, that, the Ten Commandments separated the Jewish people from the nations that we find out about in Genesis 11. I, I, I think that the Ten Commandments were like a bolt of lightning that, that really marked off the Jewish, the, the Israel as a civilized culture. And I, I have studied this stuff, and the nearest I can tell is that in the, in the, uh, in the non-Judeo-Christian world, in, in, the, in the world, the, 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 the primitive world from long ago, you had hunting and gathering and thievery. That's how people stayed alive. They Anything didn't that have they could boundaries. Hunt, yeah, there was nothing. There, it was anarchy, but but stealing was part of how people survived. Stealing from those that couldn't protect well, their you property. You had tribal battles. Yeah. So this was... this eighth commandment. This is a linchpin of civilization, and I think it came from the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I've argued that for many many years, and I think it's wrong to to deny the influence of Moses on Western civilization. Do you agree, Eric? I, I do. In fact, what we're seeing before us, and this is one thing I would challenge you with, Eric, is we live as Christians in a unique era in which we're seeing the destruction, really, of Western civilization, which is predicated on this Mosaic Code. You look at the average uh, leftist, they don't believe that you have property rights. In fact, if you claim that you have property rights, that's a sin against Marxism. And so they're coming up with a religion that is supplanting the Judeo-Christian ethic. One other example would be, do you guys remember when Elena Kagan went through her confirmation hearing? It may have been her or Sotomayor. It doesn't matter. They're interchangeable. They're on the left. But she said that the role of a justice was to aid the poor. Well, compare that with Leviticus, or excuse me, Exodus 23, where God says, you shall not be partial to the poor in a judgment. So Kagan is saying, I must be partial to the poor. The Bible says, you shall not be partial to the poor. And so this is a wholesale destruction of Western civilization when the Marxists come into power. And unless we're equipped to be salt and light, as we're called to in Matthew 5, um, the, the Christian church, by and large, is bought into this because they don't see the distinction. They say, well, Matthew 25, we're to give to our neighbor. They take Matthew 25, where Jesus says, as you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Well, the Marxists abuse that passage. That passage doesn't ask us to be generous with another person's tax dollars. It asks us to be generous to another specifically believer in Jesus Christ. But the point is we have to be equipped, I think, to see the false religion and be able to explain to a dying and decaying world what the truth is from God and his word. You know, one other thing somebody mentioned to me it was Luann Fredrickson last week. She says, isn't it interesting? The left won't let you have a big Slurpee. The left won't let you circumcise your kids where they have power, like in, uh, um, out in California. The, the left won't let you do all sorts of things. And all the American Christians have primarily said is you can't murder your unborn, right? You just can't murder your unborn. But all these regulations, but if you want a big Slurpee, have a big Slurpee. You want to circumcise your kids, circumcise, whatever you want to do outside of murdering your child, you can do. Why? Because we have a freedom that comes from the word of God. 
And what's interesting is the left is the one who's heaping regulations upon people. Their laws are burdensome, not God's. I'm reading a book that uh, was given to me called Nazi Oaks. In fact, I'm pretty well done with it. I've been reading it off and on for a long, long time. But most people don't realize that Hitler's Germany was socialist. And their, their political religion and philosophy was national socialism. And they believed in evolution and social evolution. And the reason they hated the Jews, because they blamed the Jews for commerce, business, banking, anything like that. And they wanted to go back to nature. They wanted a nature-oriented, progressive, socialist religion. And the reason for the battle on the Eastern Front to take the land from toward Russia was to create space for the Aryan race to evolve into and to have green surroundings. Uh, that's a great book. It's by Mark Muser. Is that right? Yeah. Nazi Oaks. I recommend that book. And the difference between Hitler's socialism and Stalin's communism was Stalin was trying to destroy all property rights and the, the state owns everything, okay? And then the state will let people live if they decide, which he decided most of the people in Ukraine had to die. So they didn't respect human life. The Nazis believed that the Aryan race was the most evolutionary advanced race. And so based on the same philosophy that led to Marx, from Hegel and on down, they thought this evolutionary process was going to create a utopia. If we get rid of all these people, they're keeping it from happening. And then create green space, because they were green. They were environmentalists. The Nazis. Read the book, Nazi Oaks. Well, what was wrong with the Jews? Well, they represented Western civilization. That's what they did wrong. They believed A is not non-A. Bob, you and I were doing radio on this once, and I, you mentioned something very interesting, that the church in Germany, the Germans, the Third Reich, could get them to compromise, but the ones who were irretractable were the Jews, and that's why they had to be, they yeah. had to get rid of a transcendent And then God. when some of the church quit compromising, they killed them like uh, Bonhoeffer. He decided not to compromise. From this research done by Mark Muser, they had a plan to wipe out the church, too, but they needed them for the war effort, and that was going to have to wait until after the war to go after the church. Because the church was as big a problem as the Jews, because they, too, represented Western civilization. Uh, I'm telling you, why am I doing this in church? Because you don't want to be brainwashed. We're being told lies every day, every day, every day. And Emergent, for example, I'm going to come right to you. Emergent has been changing. I went and looked at what they're up to. Same guys that I, that I debated. Now they call it Convergent. Well, let me explain what's going on. They're calling it Convergent and then Progressive. Emerge was coming from the last synthesis. Okay. Then you've got your A and non-A. And that has to converge 
into the next synthesis, and then that goes and it moves on until it all comes together. So now they're on to the next step, converging. And then it progresses, emerges, converge, progress, emerge, converge. It's just Hegel. I, after I saw the latest thing, by God's grace, my book was right on. It was never popular, it never sold a lot. And uh, emergent dropped using the term emergent, so they think they went away. They're just social liberalism now with a religious bent. Why do they not believe in heaven and hell? Why? I went all the way to Illinois to hear Jürgen Moltmann. I have a whole chapter on him. He's the German who survived World War II, was a prisoner in England. Afterwards, he became a liberal version of Christian and created a philosophy based on Hegel and Marx. And they flocked to this thing. And Chris Roseborough and I were at that conference to hear Moltmann there's no heaven and hell because if there is, the Hegelian synthesis never happens. Because if you have real heaven and hell, you have the A and non-A forever and ever and ever. Are you, are you following me? If you get this, you know more than most people in college because they're not being told this. We can't have A and non-A that never emerge and converge and progress. But in their world, it all is coming one big paradise with no death, no evil, no sin, no nothing. Even every spirit being and human being all become part of it. And that's the end of it. That's the, the goal. And they may, some of them think you lose your own identity. But don't be fooled. It's still out there. The Bible says A is not non-A. Heaven is not hell. Jesus is not Satan. Lost is not saved. Yes, Dana. The Marxists would have us believe that society needs, society needs to progress towards this socialist utopia. But when the Bible prophetically describes conditions in the millennial kingdom, it talks about every man sitting under his own vine and fig tree. Notice it's, it's his own vine and fig tree. It's not the community's vine and fig tree. So even in the millennial kingdom, we'll have property rights. Good. I'll say, well, I, don't, I have even a worse voice. He said there'll be property rights in the millennial kingdom because everybody will sit under their own vine and fig tree. There won't be this socialist utopia. See, this is, dear ones, every single time, what do I say here? Socialism is inimical to the nature of humans and the well-being of society. Every time somebody gets a chance to really do what they want with this, like Hitler or Stalin or whoever the guy is down there in South America, what happens every time? Millions and millions of people die. People are brutalized, murdered, stripped of their rights, and destroyed every time. Why? Because humans are sinful. And the people running the socialist system are going to abuse it 100% of the time. This protects us. No matter how poor we are, it protects us from somebody coming to killing us. Yes. 
back to when you were mentioning about the particular people who are um, from the emergent church now, convergence. Um, from my understanding, many of them are heavy into yoga and meditation yes. themselves. And I guess my question is, and I'm, I have a belief about that they are actually getting spiritual guidance from the demonic realm. That's what yes. I see because they're, they're all thinking the same. They have a unity in their thought and how they, and they're not like in the same <laughs> um, place. They aren't learning necessarily from each other all the time. But to me, it seems like there is a spiritual force that is driving all these people down that same path. Yes, you're absolutely right. And that's why one of the most profound things I found about Ken Wilber is when he said, just meditate. Satan is the one who convinced Adam about the Hegelian synthesis. I'm saying that anachronistically. Satan is still saying that to anybody that will listen. And the way you listen is through meditation. Because the more we are tuned in to the real concrete world that we live in, the more the chair is not the table, the recorder is not the soundboard, Eric is not Brian, male is not female. Notice how now even male and female is a state of mind. Have you noticed that? It's another example of the Hegelian synthesis. All the categories have to go away. I just have a quick question on, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but when people are influenced, um, is it our sin nature? Or, you know, we all have a sin nature, even though we're, we're um, believers. Um, does, do the demons actually speak? Do they, do they hear things? Or is it just their sin nature that is making them think these, you know, when they're meditating. Is it our sin nature, their sin nature versus actual little voices? There's actual demonic forces that people want to hear. When I wrote my review of Jesus Calling, I'm going to talk about this in an upcoming sermon. This lady, I was in Sam's Club, there's her books right there. The Jesus of Jesus Calling is not the Jesus of the Bible. And when I wrote my article about it, I went through that book. I read it two times, underlying circle. I found like 60 times the Jesus of Jesus calling, telling this Sarah Young that what he wanted everybody to have was awareness of presence. Now, that's a lie. Never in the Bible did Jesus say, I want you to be aware of me. He wanted us to believe that he had bodily ascended to heaven, that he sits at the right hand of God, that he ever lives to make intercession for us, that we have access to the throne of grace, and that he will take care of us. What we are aware of doesn't affect that. Jesus taught the promises of God. Sarah Young teaches awareness of presence, and I'm not overstating it to tell you she's listening to a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. She's deceived, and the demons are speaking through her book to people all over the world. It's a big, big lie. Yes. 
Lonnie. Yeah, uh, I, I got a question. Uh, well, I, the way I say, uh, uh, see meditation is like studying and reviewing something. Uh, can you look at it in a secular realm where like when you go to college or what, like when you went to study organic chemistry, right? Yeah. You would study and review. Is you're meditating? Isn't that? I wouldn't like, be meditating. I'd be contemplating what I need to learn, because see, all learning yeah. is being able to identify categories. That's a good question. Let me explain it this way. All of you, you've learned something in different parts of life. Whoever you are, you learned to be a farmer, a cook, a mechanic. A, Librarian, anything you can think of that you learn in life. When you learn whatever it is you learn, what you know that somebody else doesn't know is categories. I used to illustrate it this way. What is the difference between a neurosurgeon and a paramedic in regard to the human brain? The paramedic knows some things, like this guy got whacked in the head. Here's what we need to do to get him to the hospital. What's the neurosurgeon know? More categories. See, in biblical learning, like you're talking about organic chemistry, what I knew was more categories than somebody would just see some liquid in a pan. I had to learn what, what it was. One of the studies at Iowa State was called qualitative analysis. And they'd give you some unknown stuff, and you had to figure out what it was. And you find out that uh, benzene is not ethylene and whatever, you, you just learn categories. Everything is about learning categories. This whole thing, this whole Hegelian synthesis and New Age meditation is about erasing categories. Please hear me. This progressive movement is making the whole country stupid. Because now you can't know any categories. So you meditate. Oh, you know nothing. You know nothing. And then you're just not consistent because you go to work and actually there you got no categories. Over here, young Eric. I was just thinking about, um, that was good, Christy, and I was thinking about the two categories of, uh, you know, even when you're talking to John, how there's like, there's, there's either Christian or you're not Christian. Yes. And um, I forget what I was going to say about it, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they went out from us because they were not of us. It's categories. By the way, it's, I hope it's not bad to do a little preview. As we finish First John, I've got almost all my sermons done to finish First John. We're going to really zero in on the two domain theology and the categories. We're going to solve problems that I don't think the, the commentaries have even seen. What is the sin unto death versus the one that's not unto death? We're going to talk about that. It's so clear to me now. It's just obvious because of the two domains. There's just categories that we need to understand. And they don't merge. So if you don't learn anything else, stealing is not the same as not stealing. <laughs> Somebody else's property is not the same as yours. Like I said in the sermon, if it's not yours, don't take it. Dina. To address Lonnie's question, 
it's important to understand the distinction between the meditation that is advocated in the Bible and the meditation that comes from Eastern religions. Yes. Because the meditation in the Bible is thinking about something. It's thinking about God and his ways and so on. But it, the meditation that comes from Eastern religion involves emptying your mind, so you're more receptive to these demonic forces. The uh, categories have been so convoluted that even the most basic male and female, we can't even, society yeah, it won't becomes even a state let of you mind. do that. Yeah, no, they, they claim that gender is a state of mind. That's just the progressive erase all the categories. But here's what they don't know. They don't learn anything from history. You don't create heaven on earth with socialism. You create hell on earth. What do you think Hitler did? How many people know that Hitler was a socialist? They don't know that. Right. So that's a state of mind. Yes. So um, just to reinforce what Dana said, I think you always reinforce it, Bob. You say that our faith has to have an object. The object of our faith. Right. And then secondly, I think in a big picture, we're just talking about progressivism as deconstructionists. They break down our categories. Yeah, you break down they the dissolve. categories. Right. They're, right. They're deconstruction. And then you turn good and evil on their head. I just heard something the other day. It's just, it's just gruesome. It's just, frankly, some of the, not like what happened with Hitler, but not. Here's, I, when it first came out, remember there were some videos of peop, abortionist people selling body parts? There was a judge out in California, on the West Coast, who ruled that nobody gets to see those. He put a lid on it. Nobody can see those videos. Why? Because he didn't want evidence for the gruesome, wicked thing that was going on. Because he wants to erase good and evil by not letting you see what it is. There was a thing in that book Dan gave me, that Nazi Oaks. By the way, thank you. Dan knows what the good books are. Go ask him. <laughs> Anyhow, um, you have the death chambers where they took the Jews. The road is lined with beautiful oaks. It's like a metaphor. We have nature. We have our oaks. We have our green space. But the Jews need to die. So humans are dying and the oaks are thriving. You might want to read that book. It, it's, it's very technical, a lot of footnotes. And if you don't like scholarly, it might be a hard go, but I love the book. Go ahead. I just wanted to say this is kind of uh, just anecdotal. But uh, Obama, when he first started to try to be the president, was instrumental in giving me a lecture on how important the Ten Commandments are in guiding our lives the way he would stand each commandment on his head. The first time I heard him speak publicly, I took notes and wrote down how each commandment was being stood on its head. And for the first time in my life, I was still a secular person, but for the first time in my life, I saw the intimate uh, connection between each commandment and how each one was really, it was impossible to keep 
any commandment without keeping all ten. Well, no, you got to start the first one. Yeah. yeah Thou shalt have no other God before me. But I mean, you know, lying <coughs> and uh, being covet. He was selling covetousness so fiercely. So that's what started me on my, my road to Christianity, actually. Thank you for sharing, and thank God for opening your eyes to the gospel with your brother. We love you. Um, you know, this is, I'm passionate about this because I see it destroying our young people. I see interviews where they're going around to colleges interviewing students. What do you think would be best? What do you think the best thing we could have? One after another. Socialism. 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 Well, what is it? Uh, you be nice to people? They don't know. They don't know that about Hegel and where all this stuff came from. Hegel and Marx and so on. It's all a lie based on rejecting what the Bible said about sin all the way back into the garden. Now, there's another aspect to it as well, which is the interacting with the world of the spirits where sin started. That, I'm going to talk about it in my sermon sometime here. Uh, I'm, I'm working on the one now for the end of August. I like to get ahead in case I have to go fishing someday. And... Uh, the fact is that this, when I, when I was in Sam's Club and I see that Jesus calling, and it's just now they have leather bound, it looks like a Bible. Listen, Jesus never told us we had to be aware of presence. The whole Buddhist world is seeking Christ consciousness. Awareness of presence is just another way of seeing Christ consciousness. But Jesus did not say that. He said, believe me. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you might be also. And if it were not so, I would have told you so. Eric was sharing that with Helen the other day over at her house because Milford's with Jesus in heaven. Jesus told us his promises. He told us that he does intercede for us. And we have access to the throne of grace. This whole meditative awareness is just reinforcing the lie of Satan from the Garden of Eden. You shall not surely die. Yeah, did God say a is not non-A. Excuse me, when I was a young man, Francis Schaeffer helped me so much with this. I read his books, and, and uh, so I mentioned him in, in my book. That, and thanked, he, he's with the Lord now, but I didn't agree with every theology he ever had, but I loved his way of identifying what was wrong in the culture that we're in. So... Is there anything else here? Look at this Micah 2, 1 and 2 I mentioned in my sermon. This shows you that the Bible protects the poor. Okay? It is, you don't need socialism. Socialism destroys the poor. 
Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. That's what they meditate on. How can I do evil today? When morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields, and they seize them, and houses, and they take them away. They rob a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. That was after the war world. The men died, and so the widows were robbed. Nobody could stop them. And so God sent prophets to speak the truth to them, to say, woe to you. There is eternal judgment. Evil is always evil. You will have to pay for this evil. Woe to you. You think you're getting something now, but you don't understand. God cannot lie. God cannot be deceived. We can't hide anything from God. We all know that we're sinners, at least we should. But the blood of Jesus cleanses from sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to change A is not non-A to get rid of sin. We need to admit sin is not righteousness. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus, but he died for my sins. He forgives sins. You don't get rid of sin by defining it out of existence like Hegel. You get rid of sin by going to Jesus who cleanses it. Does that make sense? See, I'm living in this world and I'm looking at what's going on. I think it's insanity. It's insanity. People are literally saying good is evil, evil is good. And if you're not getting with the program, well, then you're somebody who really should die. That's what Hitler did. The Jews weren't getting with his program. They had to die. They were responsible for Western civilization, and they weren't going to go along with his socialist agenda. But we've been given totally reworked history, and people don't even realize what's going on. And so the progressives are simply taking up the philosophy of Hegel. Emerge, converge, progress, emerge, converge, progress, emerge, converge, progress. When all gets done, there's no heaven and hell, just one big state of consciousness, and everything is God. Yeah, Bob, very good point. You know, it's interesting. It was kind of funny. I was watching, um, I think it was on Fox News once, and there was a professor on, and she was explaining why what she had against Christianity, and she claimed that it was a Euro-male-centric religion. So the idea then is because Euro-males in America were the haves, well, we can't support that. They have to support the have-nots. Go back to the Marxist dialectic. So she didn't like Christianity because it was a Euro-male-centric religion, but Karl Marx got his doctrine ultimately from Hegel, who was a European male. Do you see the irony? But do you think, how many people do you think watching that show who were kids who agreed with the liberal professor understood that their doctrine and their religion is coming from a Euro male as well? Exactly. And ultimately, our religion comes from whom? It comes from Christ, um, a Jew. <laughs> truly God, truly man, obviously. So, yeah, how ironic. I just want to mention real quickly that um, the author of Nazi Oaks, um, Mark Musser, or Musser, M-U-S-S-E-R, has quite a few um, YouTube videos. 
And in fact, I posted one on my uh, Facebook a while ago. Very good. So if you want to hear more about him, if you can't get the book, he's on YouTube. He's writing a new book, and our friend Bruce Davidson in Japan knows Mark, and uh, I've got some preview of what his new book's going to be about. He's going to talk about postmodernism and where it came from. Great guy, great scholar, yes. And we're, we're kind of bringing a lot of things in here at, at once at the end, but, you know, we talk about the progressive movement. I think it really should be called the regressive movement because the beginning before the pre-civilized state, it involved nothing but hunting, gathering, hunting and gathering and stealing. And warfare. And warfare. And that is ultimately what the progressives advocate, really, taking those that have the power they take. And that's the way it's always has worked. You know, and people uh, still believe the lie. I recently picked up a book my grandmother gave me called The History of O'Brien County, Iowa, because our family comes from there. And so I read that book, especially on our county. And I wanted to know how square miles came to be in the Iowa prairies, real flat. And O'Brien County down there where we farm was laid out in the 19th century, and they had it all surveyed and laid out into square miles. Okay, And the property was identified, and if somebody was going to settle on it, then certain things had to be done so that you could have property rights. And eventually, you've got sections and quarter sections and roads and ditches I wondered where the first ditches came from. I come along in 1950, we already had ditches. Well, they had started dragging a plow through there to make a ditch so there's roads and square miles. See, civilization has property rights. We're not in a perfect world, but laws like thou shalt not steal and property rights were established by God. With the property rights, as I said in that sermon, you can find it on critical issues commentaries on the Eighth Commandment. This restrains the government. It restrains the rich. It restrains everyone because we have to honor God and respect other people's property. We're to pay our taxes. We're to take care of the widow and the orphan. We're to be kind. We're to be generous. But we have to respect property rights. If, if some entity gains control over everything, you don't get heaven on earth, you get hell on earth. Because that entity is satanic, like Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot. Name it. They'll kill people. Eric, close us in prayer. Lord, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to learn more about your world and uh, the great truths that you've given to us through scripture. And we thank you for our teacher, Bob. We continue to pray for his voice and healing. And Lord, we uh, ask that you would help us to think well upon your biblical text and be those who are salt and light in a decaying world. Lord, we do pray that we've been able to use this information to help our neighbors to see the glories of your kingdom and how your word is so much greater than the precepts of men. We pray, Heavenly Father, you'd help us to be salt and light now as we go out the doors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.